1: Thursday edition of PFTPM, Miles Simmons, Mike Florio, Kellen Mond coming up. An extended interview with the Texas A&M quarterback. Chris Sims has him at number four ahead of Justin Fields and Trey Lance in Sims quarterback rankings. There's a question as to whether it will be Mond or a handful of others as this sixth quarterback taken. It would be a shocker if Mond ends up going higher than the sixth quarterback in the draft but who knows that's part of the fun of the draft it's a week from today miles good afternoon are, good are afternoon, you going to go boy. to the draft since you're in Cleveland will you be we we haven't discussed this are you going to be our <sighs> correspondent on the ground at the
2: draft I mean if you want me to be I guess I could be but uh no I was not planning on going down there I mean I'm still not you know fully vaccinated from my second shot and you know it's, A lot of people, the first event that I would really be at in over a year, I don't don't know. I don't know, man, even if it is outside.
1: Smart move, your call. One thing you will learn about me in time, much to your surprise, I am not as big of a butthole as you may have heard. So whatever you want to do (laughs) is fine with me. There's plenty of work to be done on draft night, whether you're there or not. And I've learned over time, you can be more productive and more effective and more efficient if you're actually at home watching it on TV, working your... Cell phone device and actually posting content at PFT, which is what we'll be doing all night long. The first night of the draft into the second night of the draft and all day on Saturday to wrap up the draft. All right. Before we get there, we have one bit of old business that has become new business because a certain old man quarterback would like us to get off his lawn. Miles Simmons has found a very unlikely ally in Tom Brady (laughs) because Tom Brady, not a fan of the rules that have dramatically expanded the numbers that can be worn and it's not just single digit expansion as it dawned on me today when I looked more closely and thought more thoroughly or at all about what this means you're going to have expansion of linebackers from one all the way up to 59. So you can have linebackers in the teens, in the 20s, in the 30s, in the 40s. You can have running backs in the 80s. You can have tight ends from one all the way up to 49, and then 80 to 89. Previously, tight ends were just 80 to 89. So it is going to be revolutionary for the NFL. Tom Brady thinks it's stupid. Tom Brady thinks it's going to result in a lot of bad football. I still don't understand that, Miles. Since you're the anti-single-digit number person with it PFT I want you to make the case as to why from a football standpoint not cosmetic but from a football standpoint this is a bad idea
2: Well, I think that if you're looking at it like Tom Brady is looking at it, then you can say it's going to be more difficult to figure out what the personnel groupings are on either side of the ball, right? If you are an offensive player, and I think to Tom Brady's point, if you're looking at this, and he's been doing this for 20 years, so I can understand it from his perspective why all of a sudden he doesn't want to go out there and say, number nine is the mic. Like, that should be a 50, right? That's something that he's been doing for, really, 20 years. So, it doesn't want to be number nine. He doesn't want it to be 23 is the mic, or 34 is the mic. That's weird. It's just not necessarily something that you have seen in the past. So, I get it from that standpoint. And, you know, if you're looking at it as if you're going to say, all right, I want to be able to tell immediately if these guys are in nickel, if these guys are in dime, if they're in their base package. It may be a little bit harder to tell, because you're not going to see the same numbers. However, I guess you asked me to make the argument for what Brady's talking about. Now I'm going to make the argument against it. Look, you're watching film all week. So a lot of times guys, when they're in the locker room and they're when before, when we still were able to go into the locker room and we weren't just doing these things on zoom and they would talk about different players on other teams, they would refer to them as numbers. Right. So, you know, if you were talking about whoever it is and this cornerback is on the other team, usually you'd say, yeah, 23 is really good. We know that he does a lot of things with press coverage and all that. So I, they're gonna know who guys are, you know? And Brady may say, well, they're gonna be, it's gonna be easier for them to get off a blitz toward me. Like, maybe, but you're still gonna know who it is because you've been watching film all week. And no matter what, if you're Tom Brady, you've seen the blitz before. So I think Tom Brady's gonna be okay.
1: Well, and, and that's the thing that bothers me about this. Two things bother me about it. First of all, you have studied film all week. You know who the players are. You know who number five is. You know he's a linebacker. You know that there's a, a an outside linebacker who wears 17 like Rashad Weaver from Pitt wants to do at the next level. And you better make sure you're classified as a linebacker, not a defensive end, because if you're a defensive end, fewer numbers available. The other thing that bothers me is this. Why are we just hearing about this after the change is made? It's not like it was some secret proposal. Remember a few years ago when they put in the rule about lowering the helmet and making contact with an opponent, and that just came out of the blue? That was literally a rule that they drafted up at night at the league meetings and didn't tell anyone about until the owners voted on it. There was no opportunity for anyone to say... Maybe this isn't a good idea, and I think they wanted it that way. After the fact, people were saying maybe this isn't a good idea, and we've seen that maybe it wasn't. This was out there. It was a trending topic. It was a big deal. Guys on his team, Leonard Fournette, talking about moving to number seven. Guys were discussing this. This was well-known in NFL circles, and I, I don't know. Do I expect Tom Brady to be plugged in on what's happening in the NFL? Well, yeah, greatest NFL player of all time. I'd like to think he knows what's going on in the sport that he's mastered, right? Right. The fact that he's complaining about it after the rule has been passed rings hollow to me because he knew or should have known about it before and should have said something. I don't want to pick on Albert Breer, but I saw a tweet from Albert Breer saying, oh, yeah, uh, there were coaches who had this concern. Well, why don't you say something about it? Why didn't somebody point this out so we can have a reasoned debate? Instead of just, oh, okay, Kansas City wants to have more numbers available and, you know, teams have retired numbers and you get into all these expanded rosters and practice squads and it becomes a pain in the butt. Fine. There was no pushback. There was no counter. I heard no sort of counter to this. So it's it's stunning to me that Tom Brady swoops in out of the blue and is complaining about it after it's already been passed. Tom, you should have said something Tuesday. I'd like to think that Tom Brady's got the cachet. To get people's attention. Maybe he didn't say anything about it because he knew he wouldn't cause it from from being enacted. I don't know, but I I sure would have had a lot more good to say about the position if he'd chimed in before it was too late. The cavalry uh, 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 cavalry arrived a little too late on this one. Miles
2: how much you want to bet if he had said this on Tuesday or Monday then the Buccaneers would have voted against it on Wednesday right I mean like that's the kind of influence that Tom Brady has and he's earned that influence especially after going to Tampa Bay and winning a Super Bowl like he did but I think you're right look I I don't know that any real trepidation expressed by coaches or players or anybody would have changed the outcome of this but this has been universally praised except for people like me Uh, by pretty much everybody, right? I mean, you were into it. Everybody else in our PFT group text was into it. All the players seem to be really into it. And really, if you look at it, it's basically just like the college game. I mean, guys have all kinds of different numbers in college and different teams still end up winning a lot of games and it doesn't seem to mess things up there either. So I think I'm going to the other side on this. I think I told you the other day, I'm like in the acceptance stage of grief. So now I don't know what really is after that, but I, probably am there especially because like look when you when you're going it dumb just because guys are gonna have different numbers at this point it's like dude the, the rule is already there man i don't know it's uh, it's time to move on to something else
1: the the reality of whatever strategic benefit there may have i i I'm not buying it in part because you mentioned that in college the numbers have been all over the place for a long time. If there was any benefit, if there was any potential confusion, Nick Saban would have been using it as a sword by now. I, I really don't <laughs> think that there is a benefit. I don't get it. I really do think Tom Brady, even though his body has been impervious to aging, I think you know under that, that TB12 manicured exterior – He's the old dude sitting on his porch with a cooler full of beer saying, get off my lawn. He, he, he's, he's like, the, it's like the portrait of Dorian Gray, but the aging is happening under his skin. He's secretly an 85-year-old man who is pissed off at the world and doesn't like all these
2: newfangled rules. That's my only explanation for it, Miles. Well, he's 127 in football years, basically. So (laughs) I think it makes sense when he's done this for as long as he's done it at a high level as he's played it at for him to say, I don't want this to change. I don't like this and get off of my lawn. I frankly understand it from his perspective. I really do. Because when you've been calling out the the same number as the Mike for 20 years going into his 21st season, you don't want to change that. And fortunately, I mean, for him, unless, you know, these guys aren't really superstars, there probably aren't going to be that many dudes who end up changing their numbers, you know, because they're going to have to pay to buy out all of that inventory in order to do it. So maybe Uh, he retires after this year, but I don't know.
1: I've got a story that may be coming soon on PFT Ooh. on that topic of of having to write a check and just how large of a check it could be. I'm working on it, trying to get clearance to go forward with it. Got some phone calls to make once we're done here today. Meanwhile, though, we will move on. It, it is strange that Tom Brady would pick this of all hills to die on <laughs> because he's never been that guy. He's never been. Has he been? Has he ever been complain about rules
2: guy? I don't think so. I mean, they changed rules for him, right? I mean, you know, you couldn't hit the quarterback low on all those different types of things. So, well, there's one rule they really...
1: didn't change. There's one rule they really didn't change. There's one, <laughs> one rule they enforced very aggressively against Tom Brady. That's the only okay, rule fair. he ever would have complained about. That and don't <laughs> yeah. and, and don't and don't throw away your cell phone. Uh, yes, exactly. Don't, don't underinflate the balls and don't throw your cell phone into the river. Those are two rules very important that would apply to Tom Brady before this one and. I just, I don't, I don't see it. I think of all the players in the league, the fact that it's him makes it even more compelling. Giants general manager, Dave Gettleman spoke to the media today in advance of the 2021 draft. Here he is on the important subject of how to properly scout college players who opted out of the 2020 season due to the pandemic. Here's Gettleman.
3: It's going to be interesting. Some of the opt-out kids did a great job. Showed up at their pro days and and just you know uh, were outstanding, outstanding. And there were a f- few of those opt-out guys that showed up and looking like me, you know. So so it's it's uh, that wasn't real good on for them, you know. But but that you know so it's you do it on a case by case basis, Ryan. You you look at the film and you know you come up with it and you make a decision.
1: Dude on the right started to laugh, started to smile, and then he thought, eh, boss may see this at some point. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna straighten up quickly. But uh, hey, I, I don't know that I'm gonna fault somebody who who dealt with something that none of us ever thought we'd have to deal with in our lifetimes, where we're shut off from the world, where we're staying home, where we're avoiding other people. There's only so much that you can do at home and everyone reacted to this differently and if a guy has high-end talent and just happens to be out of shape right now well you get him into your building you whip his ass into shape and you're going to have a hell of a football player so there are teams out there they're going to benefit from this if other teams say can't draft this guy because he's built like Dave Gettleman you get him into shape and and you're going to have a great player so I'm really torn on this I really am because There's no rule book out there for how to deal with the pandemic. It affected so many different people in so many different ways. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that if you start saying, well, this guy's a great player and he played great in 2019, but he opted out and, you know, he's not in football shape right now and he's a little bit spongy and a little bit soft and we're going to have to get him in the weight room. We're going to have to, well, do it. Just do it. He's going to be part of the team and you're, you're, you're going to approach it that way to get him in football shape. I just... I think that that if you get too caught up in that miles, you're going to potentially pass on a guy that otherwise would have helped your football team win games. Well-
2: Sure, yeah. And I think that part of it too is just that you have to make sure that you're doing these things on a case by case basis. Because one guy's story for you know why they may have opted out in the COVID year is probably different from another guy's story. It's probably different than from the other guy's story. So I think that a lot of these GMs have been saying, you know, you look at this on a case-by-case basis. Why did they opt out? What were they doing when they then did opt out? You know, how were they training? And I think if you see some Somebody had a pro day that doesn't exactly look like they were in the best football shape. Well, it stands to reason that they shouldn't be because they haven't played football since the 2019 season. So I think as long as Teams are really trying to delve into figuring out what exactly is up with the player you know they're they're they can do all these different zoom interviews and you know whether they're playing uh, Rochambeau or whatever else they're doing. They can figure out exactly what this guy looks like from the inside, you know what their what his internal makeup is and i I think when you're going after a player in the first round, especially you have to figure that out almost more than what it, they, they appear to be on tape in college because you're paying this guy millions of dollars to come in and be a star for your football team. So if they want to, if teams want to say, if Dave Gellman wants to say, man, that guy looked like me, he's off the board, then, you know, that's fine, I guess. But I think if that's the only reason why you're doing it, then you're probably doing yourself and the team a disservice.
1: I had no idea that Rochambeau was the alternate name for rock, paper, scissors until today. How did I live nearly 56 years and not know that? Here's Dave Gettleman talking about the possibility of trading out of the 11th spot, something he's never done. He's never traded down in round one, and the Giants haven't traded down in round one since 2006 when the Steelers jumped up to get San Antonio Holmes. Here's Gettleman.
3: We have, I've tried in the past. I, I, honest, honest I've tried, trade back but it, it's going to be value I'm not getting fleeced I, I refuse to do it and if you know somebody wants to make a bad trade back God bless them and, but you know we've had opportunities I've tried you know and there are, you have to understand the other piece of this Dan is sometimes you have a trade and the guy that the team is trading up for gets picked in front of you I've we've had that happen to us we got to trade, we got to trade, and the, and the so-and-so selects, no trade, Dave, goodbye. <laughs> and they hang the phone up on me. So that happens too. I mean, it's really, it's, it's like, it's almost becoming urban myth.
1: The reality, a lot of teams ready to trade down, not many t- teams willing to trade up. And one of the realities, next year's draft picks will be more valuable than this year's because next year you can properly scout. This year you can't properly scout. No combine, no private workouts, no visits to the facility. Hopefully next year, the full allotment of scouting tools will be available.
2: Yeah, you know what though man I mean that I tried I'm telling you I've tried and da, da, da that was that kills me every time I watch it I've, I've seen it a few times now today and I just every time man Gettleman just you really just get the feeling that he almost doesn't like this reputation that he's earned and he almost just seems like he wants to be able to trade down just to make us all be quiet because he keeps being told that he hates trading down he hates trading down I mean my goodness man it's hilarious but I don't know if they're really going to trade down from 11 they could get a, a bunch of different premium players could still be there for them at the 11th overall pick so i mean you know i know that there was that report that they have had internal conversations about trading back in the first round and maybe they'll end up doing that but i just feel like there's so much talent out there that I don't know why necessarily you would do that if there is a player that you really feel like can help you win. I mean, if you're at 11, you're at 11. Pick the guy that you think can help you win. And if you can't, if you don't have that guy, then yeah, I guess trade back. But I, in this particular draft, I feel like there's going to be somebody there for them to pick.
1: New York Jets spoke to the media as well. Here's Robert Sala regarding having a younger quarterback. And obviously, there will be a rookie. Barring something unforeseen, playing quarterback this year in New York. Here's new head coach, Robert Sala.
4: I don't think there's risk. You know, it still comes down to having a good football team and building a good roster around uh, uh, around everybody. I mean, it's, there's players here that are talented. There's rookies that are going to be coming in that are talented. And uh, the, the expectation is that they're one of 53 when it's all said and done. And they've, they've all got to perform their best to create a great football team. And, um, so as, as far as pressure is concerned, there, there's no pressure on me. It's just, there's always pressure. There's always pressure to put put together the best football team we possibly can, regardless of who's playing. So, um, uh, very comfortable with, uh, every decision that's made. And, and it's our job to, to, to get him to, uh, to put him in the best position to be successful. And that's not just the quarterback, but, but every single player that takes the field. The one thing that I can attest to is, uh, from a schematic standpoint, uh, the scheme that LaFleur is bringing is, is the best scheme in the world.
1: So, look, we know they're taking Zach Wilson at number two. Joe Douglas, the GM of the team, separately said that we don't want to give everyone the answers to our test. We already have the answers to your test. It is Trevor Lawrence and it is Zach Wilson. Because if it wasn't going to be Zach Wilson, they need to do at least something to get people, especially in New York you need to get the people who write the tabloid back page headlines you need to get all of the hot take experts on radio and tv in new york to understand there's a chance it may not be zach wilson because if all of a sudden they do the switcheroo the presto changeo, they take mac jones or justin fields or trey lance folks are going to lose their minds so the fact that there's been no pushback about lawrence at one or wilson at two tells me those are the first two the draft begins at pick number three miles
2: uh, yeah, then I mean, maybe begins at pick number three, but I mean Mac Jones is now uh, the prohibitive favorite, right? The betting favorite, I guess I should say, to go to San Francisco once Today. again after yeah. Well, that's that's after it was Justin Fields last week, which is why when we're doing the mock draft, I chose Justin Fields. So uh, who knows? I don't know. But I, I think, you know, when you're looking at the Jets, it's interesting that Robert Salas said, oh, you know, there's no pressure on the QB, but it's the pressure on the team to build things around him. And look, I frankly don't think that there's that much pressure on the Jets to get things right from a team standpoint this year. Because look of what they did last year. All you have to do is just show that you're building a little bit of something. And that can come in late November, December, and into January with the way this regular season is now going to go with 17 games. So I just feel like at this point, yes, when you know there is a rookie quarterback coming in, you don't want him to look bad, but you also need, you, know, you also know that he doesn't need to look like the second coming of Joe Namath, you know, from the first snap. I, I think that as long as they are putting some sort of quality around Zach Wilson, where you can say, look, they look competitive, they're playing hard, and then December they won a couple of games. They're going to be all right. So I think from that standpoint, yeah, what is making, what Salah said makes a lot of sense about Wilson coming in and there not being too much pressure on him. But then you got to factor in the New York media market. And yeah, there's always going to be some pressure there.
1: Real quickly, before we take a break, the Deshaun Watson lawsuit ended up in court today for a status conference. And. There's a lot of back and forth between the lawyers about this issue of preserving evidence, specifically deleting social media messages and accounts. I just assume those things can be reconstructed and resurrected and there's always a digital file of everything we create. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But the mere act of trying to do it is the kind of thing that may make people look bad. And the allegations are going both ways. Deshaun Watson allegedly unsending Instagram direct messages and the individual suing him, some of them allegedly deleting accounts, deleting messages. This is something to watch, Miles, because if the court smells a rat, the court has broad powers to issue sanctions and... And punish those who do things they shouldn't be doing with evidence. Once that case is locked in, you better not mess around with the evidence. It can go very badly for you if it's proven that you do.
2: Right. And I I think that you're right about, you know, everybody's digital footprint, especially when it comes to something like an Instagram message. I feel like at some point, even if you unsend it, there is a way to reconstruct it. So I think that, you know, if you're trying to unsend things to try to make yourself look better, it probably will end up only making you look worse.
1: The entire technology dating back to when computers were as big as, as Volkswagen's It's premised on saving information, not deleting information. I'm sure all that stuff's out there somewhere. We're going to take a break. When we return, last call for any anonymous scouts or coaches or executives to spread phony rumors. Time's running out if you want to try to influence the dashboard by using the media. We'll talk about that next year on PFTPM. they're getting it ready to go in cleveland one week from tonight round one after last year's virtual draft people will be present you have to be vaccinated to get inside certain areas outdoors always been the safer option for dealing with the pandemic lots of people vaccinated so it will be great to see folks out and about next week for the draft all right miles before we get to the draft and look this happens every year And I thought of it today, frankly, because Tom Pellicero of NFL Media has this item with rankings of 13 quarterbacks and all of these quotes from anonymous scouts, coaches and executives. I don't like it. I never did because... Anytime you traffic in those anonymous opinions, you never know. And the reader never knows. Is that person trying to manipulate the board? You say something bad against the guys you like, so they'll slide down the board to you. You'll say something good against the guys you don't like, so they'll be drafted. And someone you actually like gets pushed farther down. I don't like it. I don't traffic in it. And I regret when I see that people do because it makes it impossible for the audience to know what the truth really is.
2: Well, right. And look, if people are saying these things because they can think that it's anonymous and they're not going to be able to, you know, it's not going to come back to them, then yeah, they're going to say whatever they want that serves them the most. So, you know, it could be something that they're saying really positive about Kyle Trask. It could be something that they're saying really negative about Justin Fields because they want Justin Fields to start sliding. But I think The smart teams are just going to be able to go with the evaluations that they already have, right? If you are evaluating these QBs and you say, look, we've got them stacked A, B, C, D, E, then whatever somebody else says should not really affect what you're doing at this point in time. But I know that that's not always what happens.
1: Ostensibly, yes, that would be the case. I think these kinds of media leaks are aimed at the owners who dabble in this stuff they're not rolling up their sleeves working in it but we know that when it comes time to push the scale one way or the other they catch wind of something they start asking questions next thing you know a guy who was here ends up here because you don't want to take that guy and then have to answer tough questions to the owner later coming up kellen Mond, texas a&m quarterback extended interview starts right after this
6: joining us now one of the top
1: quarterback prospects in this year's draft class Chris Sims has him at number four ahead of guys like Justin Fields and Trey Lance here he is Texas A&M quarterback Kellen Mond Kellen welcome in how are you pal
7: I'm doing great getting ready for the draft and I appreciate you having me
1: Well, and it's great to talk to you. I've heard so many good things about you from Chris Sims. I decided I got to talk to this guy myself because, you know, sometimes Sims doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I have a feeling, though, in this case, he knows what he's doing. I got a trivia question for you, though, before we get started. Are you ready for it? Yes, sir. Okay. You are one of three SEC quarterbacks with more than 9,000 career passing yards and more than 1,500 rushing yards. Can you name the other two?
7: Uh, I think it was Dak Prescott and Tim Tebow.
1: Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> all right, you're one for one. There won't be any other trivia questions, but that's good. You nailed it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good company in a division like the SEC, a conference more specifically like the SEC. Mm-hmm. So congratulations on that accomplishment. Congratulations on all you've done. I'm also curious, you grew up in San Antonio, you kind of caught in no man's land between the Texans and the Cowboys. Did you favor one or the other growing up or some other team?
7: Uh, I didn't, I didn't really have teams growing up. Uh, Andre Johnson was my favorite player, uh, growing up for, for whatever reason, it was a, a receiver. Um, but I never, I never had teams growing up. So
1: who was the first quarterback that you patterned yourself after?
7: Uh, I would probably say, uh, Deshaun Watson was really the main one. And so I was able to kind of watch him, you know, kind of throughout high school, whenever I was, you know, about to kind of get in the high school ranks and then Um, you know, when I was kind of going through all my recruiting, Clemson was one of the places I went to and uh, just kind of being able to watch him and things like that was, it was amazing.
1: What was the big factor for you to go to Texas A&M?
7: I think me just being able to play in the SEC was huge. Uh, Me being able to uh, stay closer to home and, you know, with me, uh, my support system and, you know, my family is huge. So being able to um, give them the opportunity to travel to all the games and Um, Just really to play for an amazing fan base in in an incredible stadium against the best competition. So, um, you know, looking back at it four years later, I definitely could say I feel like I made the right decision. And
1: this is a very common theme for me, but this is the first time you and I have talked. So I'm going to try it out on you as well. You got to pick where you went to college a week or so from now you're going to get thrust into this blender that's going to tell you where you're going what's your anxiety level with this reality that currently you don't
7: know we don't know no one knows where you're going to be living and working a week from now uh i mean i really don't have anxiety levels um maybe draft night but you know i'm you know i, I put in the work and uh, really for uh, 19 years you know since i started throwing the football so uh, you know, at this point, it's just the waiting game. And, you know, I'm I'm going to be blessed. And, you know, whatever team drafts me is going to be blessed to have my presence. And, um, you know, I can't wait to just go into the facility, you know, learn a new playbook and just being able to um, have something new in a new city and interact with new people. Russell
1: Wilson once told the story that he put the names of all teams in a hat, pulled one out, and it was the Seattle Seahawks. And lo and behold, <laughs> that's who drafted him. Have you done anything like that? Do you have any secret list of teams? And I don't expect you to share it, but do you have – got to have some preference if you got to pick where you would go, which team it would be, right?
7: Uh, you know, I, I don't have any preference. And, you know, I I actually have, you know, no idea, obviously, where I'm going. But, you know, I kind of like what Russell Wilson did. and. Uh, you know, I may, I may try that. And then if it ends up, you know, working out, then that, that'll that definitely be a story I tell once I get drafted. And
1: I know the other thing guys do, they get on Madden and they create themselves as a player and they start <laughs> throwing on all the different uniforms. Have you done that?
7: No, nah, I have not yet. <laughs>
1: no. Try it out. You got a week, you got some time Yo, to kill. Get on Madden days. and see how you're in those different uniforms because you will be wearing one of them soon. What will you be doing on draft night?
7: Uh, I'll be at my house and, um. Obviously, you know, I don't know what day I'm going to be picked, but, you know, I'm going to have, you know, pretty much my whole entire support system from family to friends and, uh, you know, former teammates uh, who are at Texas A&M with me. So uh, it's going to be a truly blessed feeling. And just, you know, at, at that time, you know, uh, we're just playing the waiting game and uh, we're going to see what team drafts me.
1: I would imagine one of the hardest things to peg, Kellen, is which pick is the one where you start thinking it could be now. And then when that window opens, and then when that window gets to the point where, okay, when's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? Do you have a sense of your your high and your low? Where, where you think you could be drafted the highest and that point at which if it doesn't happen, something will have gone seriously wrong?
7: Uh, you know, some I somewhat do. I, you know, I, I guess I can have an idea, but, you know, with kind of how the draft works, you know, you really have no idea going into it. And, you know, teams are even though, you know, teams may be high on you, they may be higher on another player who they didn't think was you know going to be available at that time. So, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm blessed to be able to be in this opportunity um, and, you know, whatever team drafts me is going to be blessed.
1: Will you be a guy like Tom Brady was 21 years ago who comes out of this process if you go lower than you think you should with a permanent chip on your shoulder, extra motivation to do even more to prove people wrong who passed on you?
7: Uh, You know, I I think no matter where I go, I'm always trying to prove um, people my worth, um, whether those are the people that believed in me or, you know, didn't believe in me. Um, You know, I don't think that um, with me having an extra chip on my shoulder, if I go later or, you know, if I go higher, then I shouldn't have a chip on my shoulder. Um, I'm always going to be self-motivated. And, um, you know, if I, you know, I think if it doesn't come within, then, you know, it's not true motivation then. Um, So, you know, like I said, um, um, being able to play four years and be be able to learn from, you know, so many different experiences um, has definitely made me the player and, you know, also the man that I am today. Do you get more
1: motivation from fear of failure or from reaction to criticism?
7: Hmm. Fear of failure or reaction to criticism? Uh, you know, I think in my earlier in my earlier years, um, you know, I would probably say a little bit of both, um, you know, especially my junior year, just um, my fear of failure. But, you know, I think as I continue to grow and, you know, part of my growth from my junior to my senior year is just um, – you know, my my growth comes from me just wanting to be better than you know myself you know the day before, and so you know I was able to find different ways within practice and games to, um, you know, continue to push myself you know intrinsically and you know inside um, that you know a lot of people really um, haven't been able to tap into um, that type of mindset. So, you know, like I said, there's a there's a lot of different things that I've been able to learn over the years. And, um, you know, like I said, if if your motivation doesn't come within, then, you know, I don't think it's, you know, true motivation.
1: Who's giving you the best advice, Callan, as you get ready for this next level in your career? And what was the advice that they gave you?
7: You know, I I would probably say the one advice that kind of, you know, made me who I am today was, you know, my dad probably, you know, right out the womb, but you know, whenever I was born, he, you know, constantly always said, you know, never let anybody outwork you. And so, you know, it sounds so basic and so cliche, but, you know, for me to be able to carry that with me, you know, pretty much every single day, 24 seven, and just, you know, make that my type of way of life and, you know, my type of individual culture, that's, you know, that's something that has always stayed with me. And, you know, it's gonna stay with me pretty much till the day that I die. Um, You know, not just on the football field, but, you know, pretty much anything that I do in life. You know, I'm never going to let anybody outwork me.
1: Before we got started, it was obvious to me that you're very comfortable with the Zoom setting. And it occurred to me you've (laughs) probably been doing this a lot with NFL teams. How many of the teams did you talk to and who did you talk to the most?
7: Uh, Well, I've, I've talked to every NFL team and, you know, that was mostly down at the Senior Bowl. You know, I don't want to get into any, you know, specifics. You know, I met with, you know, mostly the teams who, I guess you would say, you know, need quarterbacks. But, you know, just me being able to kind of meet with them, you know, for me has been an amazing feeling. And, you know, I tell a lot of people that you know I'd rather be, you know, meeting with NFL teams over, you know, football and, you know, my strengths, weaknesses, and just being able to talk ball instead of, you know, writing papers, you know, still in college or working on a master's. So, um, you know, football is, you know, my bread and butter and, you know, the game that I will forever love. And so just being able to go through this process has been amazing.
1: I don't know if you noticed yesterday, the Eagles head coach, Nick Sirianni, told reporters at a press conference that he played rock, paper, scissors with some of the prospects. <laughs> did you get to play rock, paper, scissors with Nick Sirianni?
7: No, I did not. I, I didn't see that, though.
1: <laughs> well, well, yeah, l- 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 let's do it now, then. You want to go? Hey, if you if you want to go. <laughs> okay, you do 3 and then choose, 3 then choose. Uh rock paper scissors. Here we go. Shoot. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot.
3: Oh!
1: Damn it. I, wanna, I, I wanna, went wanna with know. paper. You got me. All right. I want to know. I want to know. You're undefeated. You're undefeated. In your NFL career, you're undefeated. It'll be that way until whenever you get on the field. And that's another area where I'm always fascinated with a young quarterback coming into the league. Is it your preference to go somewhere and sit and learn and watch and see a veteran like Patrick Mahomes did with Alex Smith four years ago? Or do you want to get thrown right into it and start week one and get your education by fire?
7: Uh, You know, I think that, you know, whatever presents itself that I'm going to be prepared. And, you know, I say that because, you know, in college I was the one who was thrown into the fire. So um, I've been able to learn from those type of experiences And, you know, being able to play for four years. So, you know, obviously the NFL is different from college, but there's certain things that I can take from, you know, what I've learned in college being thrown into the fire to, you know, you know, playing in the NFL. And also, you know, if I was able to sit behind, you know, a back starter or even a veteran, you know, I think just my ability to go in and, you know, wanting to learn and just, you know, just being able to want to grasp as much information as I can and just really be able to learn so that when I'm presented with my opportunity, um, then, you know, I'm I'm at you know, my highest ceiling and I'm able to excel at an elite level. So, you know, no matter what happens, I think uh, I'm going to be at an elite level whenever I get on the field. And, you know, that's my goal. And, you know, that's the way that I'm always going to prepare.
1: Chris Sims and I were brainstorming some questions today that we would ask if we were interviewing candidates. And I want to ask you one of the ones I came up with. If you couldn't play football, if football was just gone off the table, NFL fold, CFL, all the football leagues are gone, can't play football anywhere, what would you do?
7: Uh, I mean, well, these are actually some of the the questions that NFL teams ask. And, you know, I, I tell them and, you know, my hobbies all involve football, whether, you know, if I'm not playing football, like on the field or, you know, in meetings, I'm like watching film or I'm watching highlights or I'm watching NFL games. So. Um, you know, I, I really, I honestly don't do anything else other than, you know, breathe football. And, you know, that's that's been who I am. And, you know, that's just the type of person that I am. And, you know, I think that just comes from the love of the game, um, you know, not just, you know, just be, being a quarterback and being a football player, but just being able to kind of take a step back and watch it from, I guess, a, a fan's point of view. You know, if I'm able to watch, you know, Tom Brady or Drew Brees or certain certain guys like that.
1: You got pretty aggressive coaching from Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. How did that help you develop into the quarterback that you've become?
7: Well, I think personally, uh, we're able to gel, you know, at an elite level just because, you know, one, he's passionate about what he does and, you know, he wants the best out of, you know, one himself, but players. Um, But also I want the same, you know, um, you know, excellence out of my own self. And so, you know, a lot of people say, you know, how, how do you deal with Coach Fisher? But. And I tell a lot of people, you know, by the time, you know, I'm already, while he's yelling at me, getting in trouble, I've already cussed myself out um, already. If I throw an interception and he's waiting for me on the sideline, you know, by the time, you know, it's in the other person's hands, you know, I'm already cussing my own self out. So, you know, I I have my own expectations of myself. And, uh, you know, I I look forward to taking those same expectations to the NFL.
1: How do you think the offense that you ran at Texas A&M will prepare you to deal with an NFL-level offense?
7: Uh, I mean, I think it's it's almost second to none. And, you know, I think one, just the amount of stuff that Coach Fisher puts on my plate at the line of scrimmage where, you know, I have the ability to, you know, change my calls and the pass and the run game, you know, get in and out of runs from one run to another or from a pass to a run or vice versa. Um, And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they look to the sideline, you know, and, you know, their coach gives them the play and but that that wasn't like that with coach Fisher and you know to be able to play in the offense for 3 years um you know I, I definitely think I'm prepared for the NFL obviously there's going to be um some nuances in the NFL and you know certain things that I have to learn but you know I'm I would definitely say I'm a uh, a lot ahead of the curve than you know most people coming into this draft
1: is there a criticism of your game that really bugs you
7: uh you know, I, I would think, you know, a lot of people still think, um, you know, I'm inconsistent or I'm inaccurate. And, you know, I think like if you really want to be technical, everyone is at inaccurate or everyone is inconsistent. Um, but, it, you know, the goal of being a quarterback is to limit that inconsistency. So, um, you know, I think just with myself and, you know, a lot of people compare my Florida game to, um, you know, my LSU game, which, you know, I would definitely say it was inconsistent. Um, but a lot of people, you know, they they don't have that same exact standard for, you know, other guys in the in this draft like Justin Fields, where you compare Northwestern versus, you know, his Clemson game. And, you know, that's not me bashing anybody. I think it's just me, you know, being able to tell the truth. And um, you know, the same way I'm able to tell the truth about, you know, Justin Fields, you know, I'm I'm gonna be self critical and tell you that, um, you know, me in Florida versus LSU was inconsistent. So um, you know, I think, you know, I, in this draft, I'm definitely held to a, a slightly different standard. And um, just because of, you know, the way that I started uh, in college football, you know, with me being inconsistent. Um, but, you know, I definitely think, you know, I've, I've been able to find, you know, ways to be more consistent and be accurate and still, um, you know, push the ball down the field.
1: So you think that that inconsistency from early in your college career is still dragging you down a little bit now? One, I, 100%. And that would seem to be one of those – and I say this all the time. If there's a concern that a team has about a guy, fine, don't take him. Let someone else take him. Maybe somebody in your division will take him and you'll get to deal with him twice per year. Do you kind of feel that way if someone's going to shy away from you because of things from early in your college career, they're going to get what they deserve if they pass on you?
7: Uh, you know, I think in some ways uh, I could think like that, but you know, I think whenever I get to the NFL, you know, I, I'm not necessarily um, – you know, wanting to be, uh, you know, quarterbacks who um, go ahead of me. Um, you know, I, I want to be everybody. And, you know, that's my mindset going into the NFL. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you were drafted ahead of me, uh, before me, or, you know, if you're an NFL quarterback ranked ahead of me, you know, I'm my goal, no matter what, is to, you know, one, prepare myself, but also prepare my teammates to, you know, go out and win.
1: You mentioned that you were a fan of Andre Johnson when you were young. Who's the guy playing today that when you walk out onto the field and you see him there in uniform, in the flesh, not on TV, you're going to freak out?
7: <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to freak out, um, but I would probably say the two people. Um, well, not anymore. Drew Brees. Uh, that was definitely one person. Um, but Tom Brady. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people, I don't know necessarily how this statement will go by. You know, I think Tom Brady is the best athlete of all time. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, would probably, you know, say Michael Jordan or, you know, multiple other different sports. But, you know, I think there's one there's one thing about being a quarterback and, you know, also being an offensive player in, in, in the NFL. And for a quarterback, you have to get 10 other guys on the same page as you, um, you know, whether if you're a, a track athlete um, or you're a basketball player, you know, you know, LeBron James can, you know, he may be able to win a championship um, with him doing it all on his own um, to a certain extent, but, you know, Tom Brady, um, just to show what he's being able to done, be able to do on, you know, um, two different teams and get, you know, everybody on the same page and go out and win Super Bowls. Um, it, it's truly amazing to see what he's been able to do. And so one, just me being, um, you know, a, a lover of the quarterback position, but also, you know, a fan and just watching him and being able to learn from him. That That's definitely a, that's definitely a person I would like to meet.
1: (laughs) And Kellen, that's an an excellent point because you do have 10 teammates who are on the field when you're on the field. Then you've got all your other teammates who play defense, who are on the field when you're not. Then you've got your specialists. got all these different personalities. Mm -hmm. And people get into the argument as to whether or not quarterback wins should count, whether it should be a stat. And I don't think it's nearly as important as passing statistics, but I'm a firm believer that A great leader is going to get more out of his teammates than a guy who isn't. And a guy like Tom Brady shows up in Tampa Bay, gets all those guys, like you said, on the same page. That means something. And the people who get caught up in numbers and this idea that, well, there's all these other moving parts. If you've got that personality, if you've got that leadership ability, you are going to lift everyone. And that does count for something. And I think that that's influencing your position, greatest athlete of all time, because it's not just what he does. It's what he gets everyone around him to do.
7: Exactly. And, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, when they look at leadership, you know, it's somebody who's just, you know, constantly yelling or cussing. But, you know, I think one of the one of the traits that, you know, I think I embody that, you know, I've also been able to expound on and, you know, learn is just poise. You know, you look at Tom Brady. You know, you know, just watching him this past Super Bowl, you know, every time the camera was panned to him, you know, he was just on the sideline looking down, you know, he wasn't rattled. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if, you know, good things were happening or bad things were happening. You know, he's just constantly always poised. And so you see that when he's able to get onto the field, it doesn't matter the down and distance, you know, that translate over to his confidence. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, I feel like that's a huge reason why he's been able to have success and he continues to have success.
1: Yeah, I agree with you completely, and who knows when it's going to stop. You're so early in your career, and the last thing you're going to be thinking about is how long you're going to play in the NFL, but when we see a guy like Tom Brady, who's going to be 44 this year, it really does suggest to me that this new age of quarterbacks, these young guys now, you know, it used to be 35 to 40. That was the window when it was done. It feels like it's now 40 to 45, and we're going to see a lot of guys playing into their 40s as the years go by.
7: Yeah. I mean, you know, with me, you know, I don't know when I'm going to stop playing in the NFL, you know, but, you know, I would definitely probably say that, you know, my body is going to have to be broken down to a certain level where, you know, I can't even play in the NFL. You know, I I love the game and, you know, I love everything from preparation to, you know, getting, you know, making sure my teammates are ready and, you know, that's part of the preparation. And, you you know, just being able to uh, every year you have to reinvent yourself, you know, no matter if you're in college or you're, if you're in the NFL each and every year, you know, Tom Brady um, and even all the greats have to reinvent themselves. You know, guys are always trying to find ways to, uh, to stop them. And, you know, so them just being able to evolve and, you know, continue to get better. And, you know, that's just certain things that I that I felt like I had to study. Um, and, you know, another reason why I've, I feel like I've made um, the jumps that i made made, uh, you know, going into my senior year, just being able to learn from, you know, elite level guys like that.
1: When was the moment that the switch flipped for you internally and you recognized, you know what, I'm good enough at this sport to make it to the NFL? Uh,
7: you know, I, I think at a young age and, you know, I think just I understood the talent level that I had and, Um, But I think each year in college, it presented something um, new to me and I was able to learn, you know, from different experiences. And, you know, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, in my opinion, I took a a step back, um, you know, from my sophomore to my junior year, you know, my junior season. And, you know, there was only, you know, a lot of people would kind of debate that, you know, maybe my junior season was better. But, you know, certain expectations that I had and, you know, from my sophomore year that I expected to be uh, my junior year. And so but I always tell a lot of people, sometimes you have to go back, you know, a little bit just to go forward. And there were certain learning experiences, um, you know, that if I didn't experience those certain things my junior year, that I may not be where I am today uh, mentally and physically. So. Um, you know, there was, there was a lot of, uh, uh self-analyzation and, you know, self-awareness that went in, uh, went into it, you know, my, you know, throughout quarantine, I would say then leading up to fall camp. And, you know, I think a lot of people, whenever I got back to campus saw, you know, I was, I was a lot different and, you know, one, the way I talked, but, um, just, you know, my mental approach and, you know, where, uh, you know, where I was trying to go, um, at, a, at elite level. And, you know, I don't think it's any surprise that, you know, one, I was able to have my best season, but, um, you know, I was able to lead, um, you know, in all ACC schedule to a team nine and one, and then, you know, end up going into, uh, you know, having a tremendous senior bowl and then having a tremendous pro day.
1: Give me the one moment, one moment from your time at Texas A&M that you're the most proud of.
7: Mm. Uh, Why can I have two? Sure. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think one uh, was the Orange Bowl this past year, my last college game. And I think it was just more of a a weight off my shoulders and just kind of understanding what I've been through my whole entire college career. And uh, just, you know, battling so much adversity and just being able to overcome everything and just also understanding, you know, what I meant to my teammates. You know, so many teammates walking up to me and, you know, even, you know, uh, guys who were able to see me from my junior year to my senior year just, like, kind of looking at me like, I, like they tell me, you know, I don't know how you did it. And so um, just kind of understanding the type of respect that I had from, from my team and just knowing what type of weight was off my shoulders, um, you know, knowing at that time, you know, I was going to the NFL and just, you know, understanding where I was, you know, at my freshman year and, you know, where this program was at Texas A&M my freshman year to, you know, getting them to, you know, number four in the country. And, uh, you know, a potential spot to be even be able to play in the playoffs and, you know, anything can happen in the playoffs. Um, So that was definitely one of them. And then I think uh, the other one was the Florida game this past year. And I think just from a a confidence level from, you know, myself, my team, you know, my past three years, I've been just constantly battling, trying to overcome, you know, certain things, how to learn how to win in big games, Um, you know, from playing the top teams, you know, my freshman year. Uh, my sophomore year, junior year, and, you know, just never, you know, coming so close in certain games and even just getting blown out in certain games, but uh, just, and also just being able to play, you know, another guy who was, you know, another quarterback in this draft, who was a elite talent and then another elite offense on the other side of the ball. And just, you know, uh, didn't matter what, you know, what obstacle presented itself, you know, I was going to go out and win. And so just, I think that was kind of a catapult, um, from, you know, myself, you know, my confidence level, um, you know, my truly, um, tested my poise and, you know, even though, you know, just to show kind of, we were down in that third and fourth quarter and just to come back and win like that. And so, um, I would definitely say, you know, that kind of propelled us to, you know, what type of season that we're going to have. So the way that we finished, it was, it was definitely no surprise to any of us on the team.
1: Last question for you. And I appreciate so much your time, but this is the most important question of the interview. Are you ready? No, I'm ready. Are you ready to go double or nothing? Or are you going to rest at one and zero at rock, paper, scissors? Let's do double or nothing. All right, here we go. Ready? <laughs> ready? Here we go. Rock, no. paper, scissors, shoot. Where is it? What I you got? I got paper. One Aha, one. we're one and one. One and I'll one. I'll take it, I'll take it. <laughs> unless you want to, unless, you, do we have to have a rubber match here or are we good?
7: Yeah, we, we can't add one on one.
1: All right, one we more time. Here we go, rock paper scissors shoot ah the rock crushes the scissors and kellen mond wins the series i wish you all the best you're a great guy we're proud of what you've done at texas a&m and we can't wait to see what you do in the national football league and i hope we will be talking to you many times in the coming years kellen thanks so much no for so time today
7: yes sir i appreciate you for having me all
1: right